God is doing in Israel, meet some of our missionaries from Israel. And then we've got a China room and our missionary from China is here right now. So she's in there teaching our kids about what the Lord is doing in China. We've got a Thailand room. We've got several missionaries that go to Thailand regularly. So they're uh, doing stuff in there. And then we've got an Africa room and uh, they're learning about Africa from some of our missionaries that have been over there. And so that's why these flags are up. The kids are learning about God's heart for the nations and what God is doing. It's a super cool thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As you guys know, we've been working our way through the list of gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, round about verse 10. And we come to the last two gifts listed there tonight. That is the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. So we're going to talk a little bit about those gifts tonight and and see what the Bible has to say about them and see what the Lord might want to do about it in our midst. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is interesting in that it is an entire chapter devoted to the vocal gifts. The the vocal gifts, when I say that, I'm referring to um, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. There's other gifts where vocals are used, but that's kind of the ones that, that phraseology is used to refer to. So... Prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. We have a whole chapter in the Bible devoted to these three gifts. There's no chapters devoted to helps and administration. There's no chapters devoted to word of wisdom and word of knowledge. There's no chapter devoted to uh, teaching and mercy and compassion or any other gifts. But here we have a whole chapter devoted to just these three gifts. Now, there's a reason why that is. And that seems to be that because... Of all of the gifts, these three seem to lend themselves most readily to abuses. If we're to be honest about it. Prophecy, tongues, and um, interpretation. I don't think we have to alliterate for you the, the various abuses that take place within the church. I think we have an, all idea, an idea of what those are. But, but these gifts seem to lend themselves to the, at least the possibility of that more than the others in a certain way. They also, it also seems like these gifts can be faked because they're kind of hard to check out. You know what I mean? Somebody can't really fake having the gift of teaching. Like if they don't have it, <laughs> it's pretty clear. You know what I mean? It's hard to fake the gift of mercy. Gift of administration, eventually someone's going to realize you don't have it. Um, gift of healing, nobody's getting healed. Wow, you might not operate in that you know, area. But these ones, it seems like, you know, somebody could claim to have a prophecy and it is to be judged. And we've talked about that from 1 Corinthians 14 and we've exercised judgment here according to the scriptures. But it seems that that can be faked or at least counterfeited, counterfeited. And the flesh is pretty good at counterfeiting because the flesh likes glory. So it comes up with some pretty good ways to counterfeit moves of God. And and Satan is a great counterfeiter. So he's pretty good at it. Um, These gifts also seem to often be overemphasized within the body, above and beyond other gifts. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy. And the other reason why I think we're given a whole chapter on how to exercise these gifts is because, bless you, they're often used to um, present an air of spiritual superiority. You know, sometimes people use them to sort of separate the spiritual halves and have-nots. And so the Lord being aware of these things devoted to us in His Word, a whole chapter dealing with these vocal gifts. So let's give ourselves a quick working definition of the gift of tongues and then talk about some details from chapter 14. This is my own definition of the gift of tongues. I think it's biblical. 
It's the spirit of man communicating with God as enabled by the spirit of God in a way that is apart from the mind and understanding of a man. Okay? Gift of tongues. The spirit of man communicating with God as enabled by the spirit of God in a way that is apart from the mind and understanding of man. So the Holy Spirit enabling the spirit of man to speak to God apart from what man could conjure up in his mind or fabricate in his mind or formulate with his mind and not only apart from his ability to formulate such words and syllables and phrases but also beyond his ability to understand them without the supernatural working of God. And I would just like to say at the outset that tongues is an absolutely glorious thing. Because you'll remember that the gifts of the Spirit are supernatural enabling to meet overwhelming needs, right? Supernatural enabling to meet overwhelming needs. And sometimes you just get to the end of how you know how to pray. And isn't it good to know that the Spirit will help you at that time? And sometimes you just don't sufficiently know how to praise the Lord. And isn't it good to know that we can have help from the Holy Spirit in praising the Lord? Sometimes we just can't thank Him enough and words escape us. And even our own spirit is, is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so the Holy Spirit of God comes and enables our spirit to communicate with God, to bless God, to praise God, to give thanks to God. And so it's a glorious thing, the gift of tongues is. And, and too often in the church we see the extremes. And this happens in the church all the time. Too often there's, there's the overemphasis, you know, tongues is everything, or there's the unscriptural de-emphasis. Well, we don't like tongues, and it's weird, and it's scary, and we don't ever want to see it, and we don't ever want to hear it, and neither of those is correct. Listen, let's be logical for a minute. It's if, it, if it's a gift from the Lord, it's a good thing. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. If it's a gift that the Lord chose to give to the church, it's a good thing. And for a member of the church to despise that gift is just plain wrong. And I think if we're to be real, we often do. You know, we often kind of get weirded out about certain gifts. And I've been that way in my life, you know. And I, I think, quite frankly, that that needs to be repented of. Because I think that's a sin against God. To take something that he said is good and a gift from me and to say, I don't like it. And I don't want to deal with it. I think the attitude of the Christian should be, everything that's from you, Lord, is wonderful. And I want, a, I want a taste of it. I want everything that you have for me, Lord. Nothing more, nothing less. So... When one holds that attitude, I think that one needs to repent of that attitude. And it might be okay to say, Lord, I don't understand it. Right? Lord, I don't understand it, but I don't want to diss it. Lord, I, I've seen it abused. Or quite frankly, Lord, sometimes it makes me a little nervous. But we, we don't want to shun something that, that's from the Lord. We want to seek the Lord on those issues. So we're given some details here in 14 that will help us out. Let's start in verse 1. Pursue love. And we talked about the last week that that word pursue means to make it your goal or aim to hunt for love. Christian is to hunt for love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Spoke about that last week. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Okay, 
First lesson that we learn about tongues is that it is speaking to God and not to men. That's very important because there's segments of the church that just have ignored that precept of scripture. But it's pretty clear there in verse 2 that the exercise of tongues is speaking to God and not to men. In that, it differs from prophecy. Okay? Tongues is always going to be directed to God. It's from man to God, even though it's enabled by the Spirit. Prophecy is from God to man. And sometimes people get the two mixed up, but they're separate and distinct. Tongues communicating to God, not to men, it says in verse 2. In Acts chapter 19, verse 6, it shows us the dichotomy between the two. And it says, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So there is a difference there. There, There's a dichotomy. They're not one in the same. And so it's safe for us to say from the scriptures that there is no such thing as a message to another person or to the church that is relayed in tongues. There's no such thing as a message to the church in tongues. Because 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says that the communication of tongues is always directed to God. Pretty clear, right? But if there's a message to a person or to the church, that's prophecy. And prophecy is absolutely wonderful. As it says in verse 3, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. Prophecy is wonderful. It's God revealing his heart and his mind and his message to men for edification, for building up, for um, exhortation, stirring up. And for consolation, cheering up, building up, stirring up, cheering up, prophecy. That's a good thing. But separate and distinct from tongues, it is always directed to God. So tongues goes up to God from men as enabled by the Spirit. Prophecy comes down from God to men. Sometimes in an afterglow type setting or a believers meeting like we're having here, on occasion something like this will happen. Somebody will give a tongue, a a public exercise of the gift of tongue. It's out loud. It's for the whole congregation to hear. Now, according to the scriptures, and we'll see it in a moment, we're supposed to then uh, trust the Lord to give an interpretation of that tongue. And sometimes someone will speak up and they'll say something like, you know, this is what the Lord has to say to the church. Or there's someone here who, and then they'll give a message directed to men or to the church. We would say very clearly, according to the scriptures, that that wasn't an interpretation of that tongue. That would be defined as prophecy, according to the scriptures. Wouldn't you agree? That's pretty clear. That would be defined as prophecy. That's a message from God to men or to the church. And so that's great. We We want to receive that prophecy, but we can't say that that was the interpretation of that tongue because tongues is speaking to God and not to men, it says in verse two. So an interpretation of tongue will be something like, Lord, we praise you. Or, um, you know, some sort of intercession or whatever it might be. It's going to be directed to God. And so what happened in that instance? And I've seen it happen before when I was directing meetings of this sort. Well, maybe somebody had a prophecy that was burning in their bones that the Lord had given them. They, they hadn't let it go for a little while. And maybe they didn't understand 1 Corinthians 14 very well. You know what I mean? And tongues went and this thing was burning their bones. And they thought this must be the interpretation. And they gave it. It's okay. In the New Testament, we're allowed to make mistakes. I hope you realize that. That's why we have Jesus Christ. Amen? 
So that would just be a mistake, and we'd just say, hey, you know what? Either, yeah, that was a legit prophecy or it wasn't whatever, but that wasn't the interpretation. The interpretation is going to be directed toward God, and so let's wait on the interpretation, right? So sometimes people get those confused, and it's actually surprising in certain segments of the church how often they just kind of ignore that tongues and prophecy are not the same thing. Verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. The fact that he wishes that we all spoke in tongues means that we don't all speak in tongues or we wouldn't have to wish that we all spoke in tongues. Um, Some well-meaning Christians teach that tongues is a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then you have the gift of tongues. And I would reject that doctrine. I don't think it's biblical. He says there, now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. Now it's very clear here that tongues is a good thing and that it edifies the person exercising the gift. It says in verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And it is a very edifying experience. It builds you up in your faith, in your relationship with the Lord. It's a beneficial thing. It's not a bad thing. It says there, the person edifies himself. But then it says, prophecy is more valuable in the sense that it has the potential to edify more people. And remember, the primary goal of the gifts, as explained throughout 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, is the edification of the whole body the building up of the whole body. And so prophecy has a potential to build up more people. So it's generally seen as a more valuable gift in that sense. Unless tongues is interpreted. Then the whole body that hears tongues and the interpretation, they are all edified, as it says there at the end of verse 5. Unless he interprets so that the church, everyone, may receive edifying. It's interesting to note here that one can interpret their own tongue, it seems. That seems clear from 1 Corinthians 14. That's fine. When that tongue is interpreted, as we spoke of, it's going to be addressed to God and not to the church. Now, something that we want to take note of about interpretation. It is called interpretation, and that is, I believe, the right idea that the Greek word conveys. It's not translation. And there's a difference between translation and interpretation. Translation is wanting to convey the word-for-word content of something. Interpretation is wanting to convey the meaning of something. And there's a big difference. Why is this important? Because sometimes you might hear a tongue that is given in the public setting and then an interpretation that is given, and they're nowhere near each other in length. Experience that. Where the the tongues can be super long, and the interpretation that's given is pretty short, or vice versa. That's because it's an interpretation. It's simply conveying the meaning of what it said. It wasn't a translation. It wasn't a word-for-word conveyance of the contents of that which was spoken. You understand that? So we don't want to get you know, tripped up. There doesn't need to be the same amount of syllables or the same repetition of the words. It's a conveying of the meaning of that which was given. Now, 
We might just say, what is interpretation? The gift of interpretation that is available to the church is when tongues is exercised in, a, in, a, in the public sense of tongues, in the congregation like this, spoken out loud for the purpose of everybody to hear, spoken to God, and then somebody just supernaturally all of a sudden knows what that person said. Just supernaturally they know. Now, there's tongues of men, like in Acts chapter 2, they spoke with tongues, right? And the people from different regions in the Middle East there, they, it was their languages that was being spoken. And so they had the interpretation because there was a supernatural enabling for the apostles to speak those languages. They didn't know those languages. So sometimes that'll happen. Someone may speak in perfect French and it's an enabling of the Holy Spirit and someone else knows that. Either they knew French already or they supernaturally know the interpretation. And then it seems from 1 Corinthians 13 that there's something called the tongues of angels. And I don't know, it's controversial, you know, this and that and the other, but it seems that there's other tongues that are just not knowable. It just doesn't seem to be a human language. It would just seem gibberish to us, but somebody is given the supernatural interpretation. They know what was said, and then they convey that out loud, and the whole body goes, oh, that was awesome. That was great. And when it's tongues, it's whatever the content of praise or blessing or thanksgiving or prayer is, it's going to be really good because it was given by the Holy Spirit. So it's going to be like super good praise or super good thanksgiving or super good intercessory prayer, right? Because it was given by the Holy Spirit. So generally, when the interpretation is given, you're like, wow. We also want to remember when the interpretation is given that it's the Holy Spirit working through that person. And haven't you ever noticed that the Holy Spirit doesn't really override people? You know what I mean? Like when you hear me teach, it's still me, right? It's still Brit. Like I still say gnarly and I use my little languages and my euphemisms and my personality and my sense of humor. It's all there. And so if I had, let's say someone gave a tongue in the congregation and I received the interpretation and there happened to be an Oxford scholar here and he also received the interpretation. When he conveyed it, it would sound very different than when I conveyed it. It would have the same meaning, but he would choose different words. His might even be lengthier or shorter, you know, but he would choose different words than I would choose. I've been studying Greek. I just spent the whole last year uh, studying Greek. And when you study Greek, you study the Greek that's used by the Apostle John because he used very basic Koine Greek, very basic Greek. And you begin to learn, and this year I translated the book of 1 John from Greek to English, and you think you're awesome. You just think you're awesome. You really do. It's a problem. You've got to pray. You're just like, wow, you know, I can translate the Bible from Greek to English, the whole book of 1 John I did. And then you say, well, I want to do something from the Apostle Paul. And you go to one of the Pauline epistles, and I can't even translate a single sentence. They just, it's like the Oxford scholar and the surfer from Tar Pits. I mean, the Greek of John, right? The, the Greek of John and the Greek of the Apostle Paul, they are that far apart. And so the beginning know-nothing Greek student learns the Greek of John and thinks he's awesome. And then he goes to study Paul and he, you, you, don't, you don't get any of it, much less the grammar. And so, but it was the same Holy Spirit. You see the point? It was the same Holy Spirit. He didn't override the personality or the educational level of John and Paul such that they became homogenous. But he utilized their individual personalities and experiences and educational level and vocabulary and so on and so forth to communicate the same eternal message through a different messenger. Isn't that cool? 
So interpretation could be the very same thing. Now, verse 6 through 12. Sort of lengthy little passage, one simple point. Paul says, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of a prophecy or of a teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be to the one who speaks as a bar- or to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also then, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Lengthy little discourse there with some illustrations, but the point is clear. Paul is saying this: edification in the church demands intelligible communication. Very simple. Edification within the church demands intelligible communication. Um, And tongues by themselves are not intelligible by humanity. And so there has to be the gift of interpretation for them to be beneficial for the edification of the whole body. And Paul says, since you're so excited about spiritual gifts, you ought to really be excited about the ones that edify the whole body most frequently. That's, that's Paul's argument. And that's the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So he seems to value within the corporate context prophecy over public exercise of tongues, teaching over tongues, revelation over tongues. Now, then we kind of get to a therefore in the chapter. And so let's look in verse 13. Therefore, because of these things that were previously said, Let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So somebody that has a gift of tongues should pray that he interprets. By the way, this is the only gift in all of scripture that we're told explicitly to pray for. We're told to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but this is the only one that we're told explicitly to pray for. We begin to see how important it is to the Holy Spirit that there's edification for the whole body in the corporate exercise of gifts. So he says, you got the gift of tongues, that's great. You should just pray that you could also interpret. By the way, you don't have to have the gift of tongues to have the gift of interpretation, and you don't have to have the gift of interpretation to have the gift of tongues. Verse 14. Paul here says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. There we see where kind of my definition of tongue stemmed from, right? The enabling of the Holy Spirit enables our spirit to speak to the Spirit of God, but our mind, it's apart from it. Verse 15, what is the outcome then? I shall pray with the Spirit, and I shall pray with the mind also. I shall sing with the Spirit, and I shall sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only... How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, for sure, but the other man is not edified. So, here we see in verse 14 that tongues is the spirit of man functioning apart from the mind of man. 
And again, it's sweet of the Lord to allow us to communicate with him in a way that is beyond our intellectual comprehension. Amen? That's really cool. We also see there in verse 14 that tongues is a form of prayer. He says, if I pray in a tongue. So it's very clear that one of the purposes of the enabling of tongues is for prayer. There's no mistaking that. It says it explicitly there. Tongues is used for prayer. That's one of the uses. Now, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, may refer to this. They may not refer to this. It's debatable. I really don't care. Because it's very clear in 1 Corinthians 14 that we can pray with the gift of tongues. But Romans chapter 8 says this, The Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should need help. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So some people read that passage and they think that it refers to praying in tongues. I personally think it does. But it's a debate in the church. I'm not even going to take the time really to debate. I, I really don't care. Because 1 Corinthians 14 is very clear that we can pray in tongues. And people will say, well, it says groaning's too deep for words. It doesn't say another language. And so maybe it refers to those times where you're just like praying. You just go, ah. you know those times where you're just like, ah. I do that like 10 times a day, you know what I mean? And so the idea would be there that very kindly the Holy Spirit takes those groanings where we just don't even have words to express our feelings and makes it into meaningful intercession before the throne of grace. That's awesome too. Not one is less supernatural than the other. They're equally as supernatural. And so, you know, some see that praying in tongues is, is here. And some people call it a prayer language. And I employ that phraseology. I think that's fine. And so they might say it's a prayer language or, or it's my prayer language or they might just say it's praying in tongues or it's using the enabling of tongues for prayer. Either way, I don't think it's worth splitting hairs. It's just clear in 1 Corinthians 14 that there is a private use of the gift of tongues for prayer. It also says that tongues can be used for singing praises to God. So that in verse 14, you can sing in the spirit. That's kind of cool, right? I think that'd be fun. I think that'd be really cool. I haven't experienced too much of that, but that sounds cool to me. It also says that tongues can be used to bless the Lord in verse 15 and to give thanks to the Lord in verse 15. And that's the way that we see it used in scripture. In Acts 2.11, it said, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Right? They were speaking of the mighty deeds of God. So praise and blessings and thanksgiving. Acts 10, 46. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. So we see tongues being used in that way. Blessing, uh, praises to God, giving thanks to God. And we also see it as um, enabling for prayer. And this is all great and wonderful. But without an interpretation, verse 16 says that the other man is not edified. But the person doing it, is totally edified. Verse 18, Paul says this. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. <laughs> That's a pretty bold statement. But it's Paul. And if you know Paul, he was pretty bold and he didn't lie. So he probably did. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. However, now this is very important. However, 
in the church, okay, when the church is gathered together, the assembly, ecclesia, in the church, I desire to speak five words with the mind that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now that's a very important point for us to ponder for a moment. Paul loved the gift. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He was stoked that he had the gift of tongues. But he seemed to be most blessed by the private use of tongues. Praying in tongues. Prayer language. He seemed to be most blessed by the private use of tongues, which is what he seems to be referring to in verse 18. Because in verse 19 he says, however, when I'm in the church, I speak tongues a whole lot, he says. But when I'm in the church... I think it's more important and more valuable to utter five words that people can understand and it builds them up than 10,000 with my gift of tongues. That's poignant. The scriptures seem to value very highly knowable communication that instructs others above tongues. That's what Paul says here. When I'm in church, I would rather communicate in knowable language. It's weird then to me that so many people obsess over tongues. Because being totally fair, it's good, it's awesome, it's great. But being totally fair, 1 Corinthians 14 minimizes it pretty strongly. I think that's partly because obviously the church in Corinth was really, 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 really amped about it and got you know, pretty into this gig like a lot of people do. And it's wonderful and it's awesome and it's great and it's a good thing. But this chapter seems to minimize it to a certain degree. In in chapter 12, in verses 8 through 10, our list of gifts that we've been working through for the past several weeks, tongues and interpretation are the last ones on the list. In chapter 12, um, verse 28, you might might just look at it. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. Tongues is the last on a list of a list that seems to, seems to, we could argue about it, communicate importance to the corporate body. It's the last on the gift. Helps, the gift of service was before it, and the gift of administration was before it. The Old Testament doesn't really speak of tongues, maybe twice. For sure one time in, in, first, in Isaiah 28, 11, Paul quotes it in 1 Corinthians 14. It's, it's referring to the gift of tongues there one time in the Old Testament. Another time, I, uh, Hezekiah is having his prayer life described through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 38. And he says that he made these sort of unknowable sounds and that might be a reference to tongues. But really, we got to say out of the whole Old Testament, it's mentioned once, maybe stretching it, maybe it's mentioned twice. Jesus only mentioned the gift of tongues one time. Mark 16, verse 17. He only mentioned it one time. And that's a, you know, that's an interesting portion of scripture. Jesus himself never spoke in tongues. But to be fair, we wouldn't expect him to. Because what language is going to be unknowable to Jesus? Hello? 
right? There's not really a purpose for Jesus to speak in tongues. We wouldn't really expect Jesus to use tongues, but he only ever even mentioned it one time. But when he mentioned it, he said that, that some of his followers would do it. In the book of Acts, the book encompasses 30 years of church history. Tongues is only mentioned three times. That's surprising to me. 30 years of church history, the book of Acts only mentions the gift of tongues three times. And in all of the epistles, there's only three chapters, perhaps four, depending on your interpretation of Romans 8, that mention tongues. 216 chapters in the New Testament, only three, maybe four, that even mention tongues. Only one mentioned by Jesus, one in the Old Testament. It just seems that People maybe sometimes make it a bigger deal than it needs to be on both sides of it. You know what I mean? On both sides of it. Either rejecting it or, or exalting it too much. And I think the balanced view of Scripture is it's wonderful, but don't trip out, man. It's awesome. If the Lord gives it to you, praise the Lord. And if it's exercised in the congregation, that's great. But, but Paul in verses 19 and 18, according to the way that I read it, seems to imply that he almost never would speak tongues in the congregation of setting. That's Paul. Now, verse 26, though, tells us that we could certainly expect it. Look in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, just two more verses and we're done. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation let all things be done for edification. Now, that verse tells us what we should expect in afterglow type settings like we've been having or believers means whatever you want to call it, times of waiting on the Lord. That's the things that we should expect. Psalms, teaching, revelation, tongue, and interpretation. And we've definitely had teaching, right? Plenty of that. And we've definitely sang a lot of songs and we've had some wonderful revelations, some great prophecies that have been given to us on Thursday nights, right? In our time away now, Lord's both individual prophecies given to people out loud, people just going up to people, uh, corporate prophecies that are given. But it's interesting, we haven't heard a, a public exercise of tongues yet in our times. We should expect it. I expect it every single week. I'm excited for it. I'm totally stoked if it happens. But it hasn't happened. I don't think we need to trip out on that in either direction. Paul says what? I'd rather speak five words that are knowable than 10,000 in tongues. No big deal. And so the Lord just hasn't seen fit for us to have a public exercise of the gift of tongues. Now there's obviously a difference between um, the private exercise of tongues and the public exercise. We'll see it a little clearer as we read the next two verses. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three and each in turn and let one interpret. Look, but if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So there will still be the exercise of tongues, but it's not a public exercise. It's not for the whole church to hear. If there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, but he can still exercise tongues to himself and speak to God. And we hear that all the time. I mean, at least I do. Do you? People using their prayer language, praying in tongues in a very low and hushed voice. 
And I, I'm kind of a little miffed why people trip out on that. There doesn't need to be an interpretation for that. It's very clear from verse 28. People would say, well, there should be no sound. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's employ some sound logic. It's tongues. Tongues. There's going to be sound. <laughs> By definition, it's tongues. There's going to be sound. And so the idea, if, if it's for um, the whole body, then it would be in a big voice for the whole body to hear. And then what the scriptures would say is in one gathering, two or three at the most, that's it. And there must be an interpretation and it can't be on top of each other. It's got to be one at a time. And if there's nobody there who's going to interpret, then people can still use the gift of tongues to pray, to bless, to give thanks, but just to themselves and to God, it says in verse 28. So it's very clear that scripture teaches the private use of tongues and the public use of tongues. And we seem to see a lot of the private use here, not as much public use, and that's just fine. There's no problem with that. Maybe tonight we'll have a public exercise of the gift of tongues, and that's super cool. So I just want to recap. Point number one, tongues is speaking to God, not to people. Point number two, it's used for prayer, praise, blessings, and thanksgivings. Point number three, it's used for private prayer. And tongues seems to be primarily for my private prayer life, from what Paul says in verse 19. And private tongues does not need to be interpreted, interpreted, excuse me, even if overheard, which is clear from verse 28. Point number four, it's for edification. If uh, there's no interpretations for edification of the one speaking, if it's interpreted, it's for the whole body. But tongues does not edify the whole body unless it's interpreted. There's to be limited utterances, two or three public uses of tongues at most in the assembly, only one person at a time, and interpretation. Tongues is meant for the assembly. Tongues that is meant for the assembly must be interpreted. If there's no interpreter, the gift should not be used in the public sense. Those with the gift of tongues should pray for interpretation. That's about all that we have to say about that. Now, earlier on our Thursday nights, I asked just on a whim. I didn't plan to, but I just asked, who here has a gift of interpretation? And there were a few people that responded. And uh, one of them isn't here tonight. And the other one, I think, is here tonight. I think I saw her. A couple of people responded. Hey, I have the gift of interpretation. So that's cool. Then we should be stoked to exercise the gift of tongues. But what if I had asked that and nobody had the gift of interpretation? We should still be totally stoked to exercise the gift because if the Holy Spirit gives you utterance, can't we trust him to give interpretation? Yeah. Right? I mean, we're, we're going to subject the use of the gifts to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't get in the flesh and do it because you want to do it. Do it because the Lord wants you to do it. And if the Lord wants it to happen, then we'll expect that he's going to give us an interpretation. And, and, and maybe, maybe we were to take a survey now, does anybody have the gift of interpretation? And nobody did. Maybe God wants to give it to somebody tonight. So we'll still say, okay, cool. If somebody wants to exercise the public use of tongues, go for it. And we'll trust the Lord to give interpretation. If an interpretation doesn't come forth, (laughs) the end of the world. No, it's not the end of the world. Somebody made a mistake. Either somebody was given the interpretation and they just didn't have faith to go for it or they're just timid or they're just scared or they just weren't hearing the Lord or the person that you know, did the tongue sing they weren't really supposed to or somebody somewhere made a mistake. Big deal. I mean, 
Can we move beyond that as a body? We don't want to nurture mistake making, but we do want to nurture spirituality. And we're going to make mistakes with one another. So wait, I'm going to make mistakes as your pastor. I hope you don't stone me the first time. You know, it's okay. It's not an Old Testament prophecy thing where we got to kill you. It's a New Testament exercising of the gifts. Now, I used to um, make fun of the gift of tongues. This is a confession of my sin. I used to make fun of the gift of tongues, like a lot of Christians do. And, you know, make pretend sounds. And, you know, I'm not going to do it because it's, it's rude. I'm not going to do it. But I used to do that a lot. And I did that because I was intimidated by the gift of tongues. I didn't understand it. Didn't think it was for me. And yet simultaneously, I was asking the Lord to give it to me. And the Lord spoke to me really clearly one time and said, why would I give you a gift of mine if you make fun of it? You've got a horrible attitude about it, son. I'm not going to give it to you. It's like, wow. Sorry, dad. I mean, he really busted me on it. And I had to fully repent. I had to fully repent for, before the Lord. And I continue to ask for the gift of tongues. Just because, why not? thought it was cool. So I asked for the gift of tongues maybe dozens and dozens of times. Had a lot of people pray for me to receive the gift of tongues. Never got it. I was cool with that. And the one time at the college ministry called Reality at uh, Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, I was teaching through the gifts of the Spirit. I was teaching on the gift of tongues. And uh, still didn't have the gift of tongues. I told the people that, hey, I don't have the gift. Some of you do, I don't. Praise the Lord, it's cool. Not everybody does. God knows what gifts he wants to give you. And this little brown guy named Paul, right at the end of the message, just came barreling down the aisle at me. I said, amen. I look up, he just goes, <laughs> you know, little Paul, you know what I'm talking about. Just came barreling down the aisle at me. And he said, I want to pray. Well, he actually looked up. I was up there and he goes, I want to pray for you to get the gift of tongues like that. And I was like, okay, fine. I didn't have a lot of faith for it. People have prayed for me a lot of times. I prayed and I came down and he prayed the most simple prayer. He said, Lord, thank you for Britt tonight just teaching on tongues and thank you that it's a gift for us. And Lord, I just pray that you would give it to him. In Jesus' name, amen. And I didn't start to speak in tongues right at that moment. Although I've seen that happen with people. We've had that happen here. They get prayer and they just start speaking in tongues. And that, that didn't happen uh, right then. And I was like, thanks, thanks you. Thank you very much. Praise <laughs> the Lord. And I went and I got down on the carpet and and the worship team started to play and I just started to praise the Lord. I was singing to the Lord and like 12 minutes into it, just bam, tongues, just good, started going. And I was like, really? No way. Now listen, let me tell you immediately what happens. At first you're like, awesome, thanks Lord. And like two seconds later, you're like, I made it up. Right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You totally do that. You're like, I made it up. And then, you know, Satan is such a jerk. Later on that night, you go home and he's like, you totally made that up. You're an idiot. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, the gifts are such a wonderful thing from the Lord. Satan loves to try to mess with them. And so I I went through those mind games for a little while. You know, and I finally had to just surrender that to the Lord and just get over it and just trust the Lord. And I just had a few syllables at first. That's all it was. Just a few syllables over and over. You might have heard that before from people. That's all I have is a few syllables. And then my prayer language began to grow. And so a few months later, I had a few more syllables and then a few more. Now there's a whole lot of syllables. 
And uh, I use the gift. I've never used it in a public sense. I never have. It just the Lord has never prompted me to use that in that sense. But I use it in the private sense um, several times a week. And definitely every Sunday, every time the church gathers, uh, when I'm praising and, and when I'm worshiping. And it's edified me. It's been a blessing to me. It's cool. And so maybe God wants to give some people that gift tonight. Maybe he'll allow us to exercise it. Who knows what he wants to do, but we'll have the prayer team come forward and they're there to pray for you to receive gifts and you can pray for yourself and you can pray for others and we'll just worship a little bit and then we'll have some times where, you know, the worship is real quiet and someone might give a tongue and then we'll wait for an interpretation. Someone might give a prophecy or we might just have a wonderful night of worshiping the Lord. But let's let the Holy Spirit decide. Amen? Lord, we thank you for these things. And we thank you for just a clear instruction of your word. And now we ask that you would just give us um, just some practical instruction, Lord. Kind of like a lab, Lord. Just some hands-on training in these things. We ask now that Holy Spirit, you would just fall upon this place. Thank you that you gave us a prophetic word that our Thursday nights of summer together would be sweet because of your presence. That's exactly what it's been, Lord, just so sweet. When it's you, Lord, it's so sweet and gentle and kind and wonderful. That's who you are to your bride. So Holy Spirit, come and manifest the heart of the Father, the glory of the Son in this place. And come have your way. We submit ourselves to you. You know what our needs are. You know how we can best exalt Jesus this evening. So your will be done in this place. But come and move in our midst. Let Jesus be preeminent. Let Jesus be exalted. Lord, we, we're not seeking the gifts. We're seeking you. We want the giver. We're not after the hand of the Lord. We seek the face of the Lord. So come, Holy Spirit, and manifest the wonderful presence of our King in this place. 